Well, good morning. Nice to see you this morning. We're talking about habits in our own lives for sustaining us in leading out of a centre of God's grace. But I'd like to just follow up on a question I received uh, after yesterday. For those of you who weren't here yesterday, we were talking about how we create a disciple-making DNA in our churches so that folk aren't uh, experiencing church so much as their escape from the world and a nice, cosy, comfortable place where they, as religious consumers, come to experience the service of religious professionals so much as their team for participating in Jesus' great cause of making disciples. And inevitably, when I speak on that kind of subject, somebody comes up to me afterwards and says, I completely agree, the trouble is, my church is an awful long way from that. Uh, That's the starting line, we're back here, and I have no idea what the steps are from where I am to get to the starting line. What do you think some of them are? And uh, uh, I'd just like to uh, lay out in front of you what I think are uh, a few stepping stones out of inertia, just to complete some of that discussion for yesterday. I think there are many causes of inertia, but there are some stepping stones that are quite easy to identify out of it. Here are five that help create conditions for change. None of these guarantee DNA change in our churches. None of them guarantee the ability to implement vision. But I can pretty much guarantee that it will be harder to do without these things. So let me, uh, let me just show you uh, the diagram. I nicked this off Tony Morgan from the Unstuck Group in the States and adapted it slightly. And uh, you'll just have to excuse me. It's part of a, a larger presentation, but the headings are, are useful. So five stepping stones if you want change. The first is you have to have the personal capacity of leaders in place. And we're going to really talk about that spiritually today. That's our content today. Because overworked leaders never lead for change. Because you're just fried, aren't you? And it's always the last priority and you can't face the emotional demands of it when you are weary. Because as soon as you press the button to change things, then there's pushback. And if you know there's going to be pushback and you don't have the demands you don't have the capacity for dealing with that, then we are very reluctant to try that in the first place. So that's the first thing. You've got to have the personal capacity of leaders in place. Dead leaders don't lead stuff. Then you have to be praying into this matter of spiritual urgency because any kind of change, whether it's organizational change and certainly uh, DNA change in churches starts with spiritual roots, roots of godliness, spiritual perception, hunger for the Lord, spiritual urgency is our baseline starting point. If there is no spiritual urgency, there is absolutely no incentive to look for something better. (coughs) Somebody said to me recently, um, in our church, uh, the pain of staying staying where we are would have to be significantly greater than the pain of changing for us to move anywhere. How (coughs) different is that to the apostle who says, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what, towards what is ahead. We're looking for the prize for which God has called us heavenwards in Christ Jesus. Where did that vision go in that church? Spiritual urgency. You have to be able to cast clear and concrete spiritual vision. I say clear and concrete as opposed to vague and less preferable. People respond to a clear vision of a preferable future not to a vague vision of one that they think is less preferable. Why on earth would they go with you on that journey? You have to have the necessary resource capacity. That's this fourth column if you want to implement change. And by resource capacity, I mean team, ability, resources, capacity, trust. You can't change more than you have the trust to change. Wisdom to know how it will affect people so that you can mitigate against the negatives and lead them for the positives. And you have to have a purpose-centered ecclesiology. Christology, we have our Christ and his mission to make disciples. People have to have a clear view of him and why they've been called to be a disciple. It's very difficult to get them into a disciple-making mindset, isn't it? So you have to have those kinds of things if you want to drive change that people actually are able to say yes to. And a culture that celebrates wins. Even if you're only celebrating the smallest of wins, get into the habit of celebrating the good things that God is doing among you together, because the more you do it, the more it snowballs. 
and a culture that celebrates good moves forward, it becomes easier to take bigger moves forward. Five things that I think help us over time cut with the grain. And, you know, wouldn't it be lovely if the buy-in for change just sort of went like that? But it, it never does, is it? It sort of bounces up and, and down over here, and it's always two steps forward, one step back. But I think that those things are all fairly important and practical as well. They're not about how to do the change themselves, they're about how to do the conditions. It never happens all at once. Uh, strategic development is always development over time. But get one piece right, and new things become possible because trust and credibility grows. And it's the first one I want to hone in on today. Leader personal capacity. You have to be alive to lead stuff. And my contention for this session is that if you want to lead out of God's grace, you've got to be a recipient of God's grace. James 4.6. God gives more grace. We had Philippians 1.25 and 26 yesterday. Uh, those of you who weren't here, I suggested that that is a good starting point for our understanding about leadership. Paul says to the church in Philippi, I want to come to you and be with you for your progress in the faith and your joy in God, so that through my being with you, you will glory abundantly in Christ Jesus. He wants congregations who are enjoying God, making progress, glorying abundantly, and it doesn't take much to see why a church like that is going to be incredibly attractive with the gospel, does it? Incidentally, when they're not, you can do all the evangelism training you like, and it doesn't make any difference, because people who have no excitement about the Lord don't do good evangelism. So that's not the only thing that we could say, but what I want to just draw out of that for this morning is this. It is impossible to work with others for their progress and joy if the same is not true of us as leaders. If folk are not working with us for our progress and our joy, if you know that your joy ran out a long time ago, then it is impossible to do the job of working with others for their progress and their joy well. Which means that us being well watered, well sustained, is utterly critical for the leadership task. So my outcomes for this session, it's going to be mostly a discussion session, are to consider how to build Sabbath into our lives, holy margins for the sake of the Lord and our hearts, and then for our leadership task in the church. I want you to imagine for a moment uh, that this cup is you. And uh, you are uh, you're a recipient of the Lord's grace and his blessing, the Holy Spirit, and he fills you up. Uh, this bottle, of course, uh, never empties because he is infinitely overflowing. And my question is, how does the water get out from you, the blessing get out from you, to bless those around you? How, how, how does it get out and bless those all around you? Well, you can fill it right up. So it I won't fill it right up. So it <laughs> Lovely. Yeah, that's good, isn't it? Because when it's overflowing, you're giving out of your fullness rather than out of your emptiness, and the cup's not going down. Honestly, most of us in leadership choose a different route, don't we? Which is to take a drill and puncture some holes in the cup down here somewhere. And the water will spill out. People will get blessed. They don't know the difference because they're receiving the blessing. What they don't see is that they are being blessed at the expense of your emptiness. And you run on fumes in order to keep them energized and blessed. Uh, two massively different models. It's almost impossible to see from people outside because let's face it, as leaders, we know how to look in church, don't we? I can lead a sermon or a service or a prayer meeting or a Bible study or a New Horizon seminar without any of you knowing what my heart is like mm -hmm. because I know how to look holy when I'm leading and so do you. Only the Lord knows the state of my heart and a few very close friends. That's what we're talking about this morning, whether or not we are in that state where actually we're running on fumes but nobody knows it, or whether we are actually giving out of our overflow. A full walk with the Lord is the centre out of which we lead, obviously. It's much more than that, though, isn't it? Because God cares far more about uh, us than about what we do in leadership. Walking by the Spirit giving care to our prayer and worship life are not incidentals, they're everything. 
you have no worship life, you can't lead properly. Uh, the more I meet groups like this, the more I want to ask, what's the state of your worship life like at the moment? It might be that that question is a good take-home for you to pray through and consider uh, for yourself. Being rooted in the love of God, experiencing his grace, remaining in the vine, are the heart of spiritual leadership. The Bible talks about people who delight in the Lord being fruitful trees planted by streams of water. It's not as if leadership exists in one box and our spiritual walk in another, because leadership is first and foremost not rooted in our skills, not even our theology or our Bible teaching ability. Leadership is primarily about receiving God's grace daily, taking up our cross, following Jesus, and serving. So, this session really is about our own soul care. I freely confess I do not have all the answers. Jesus regularly drew aside to pray, the disciples with him. They walked on the road, they were with each other, as we've been hearing from Scott. So our discussion this morning is about the patterns and habits that we find helpful or possibly that we find hindering to us doing that with Jesus as leaders. Uh, I would, I'm not going to force anybody to discuss, but this is primarily a discussion group, so it might be that when we break into groups you might want to just sit and listen, but I hope that you will feel free to share the stuff that is both helpful and hindering to you. And uh, I quite like this to be a safe space, so uh, if stuff that gets said in the room... Uh, I won't repeat the difficult stuff for the benefit of the tape. That will only really hear me. A tape, that shows my age, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> the screen. <laughs> um, just, to, just to protect you, uh, if you want to be um, honest about uh, some of the, the joys and the struggles. Not having a healthy spiritual life in leadership is obviously the main underlying driver of ministry failure. Leaders should be the most spiritually alive people in the church. A businessman said to me a little while ago, Marcus, when I get your prayer letter, if I see that you are working the patterns in ministry that I am forced to work to make my business work, I'll stop supporting you. And I said, why is that? He said, because if you are not spending time on your knees, if you are not enjoying the Lord, if you are not modeling good family practices to your dear ones at home, if you, uh, if you have no worship life because you are just consumed with activity, why on earth should I think you've got anything to feed me with when I come to church on Sunday? That's very interesting. Why do we get to the point where we are running on empty like that picture with the cup? What patterns will help us get out of there? What holy and helpful habits lead to us having have a healthy spiritual life in leadership? Out-of-control busyness and overwork are the most frequent presenting problems for leaders. I find this quite interesting. Leaders come and sit in my kitchen and we chew the card over leadership issues in their lives and in their churches and the most <coughs> common thing somebody comes to present with is I'm exhausted because I'm overworked and the thing I find fascinating about that is they think it's safe to say it uh, usually that is the test case for if it's okay to say some things that aren't safe like my marriage is in difficulty or I'm struggling with a pattern of sin but why they would think that that is safe to say that's very interesting Overwork is the presenting issue. It's not the biggest killer. That is long-term discouragement compounded by isolation and no spiritual life in a spiritually stalled and resistant church. That's the big killer. But the presenting one that they come with is overwork. It bears all the hallmarks of self-harm. But it's a complex form of self-harm because it's the only one that's socially approved. We as leaders get validated and applauded. Positive validation for existing in that state and very often we feel we let people down if we take positive steps to get out of it. Ironically, from the very thing that might be killing our spiritual lives and the ability to lead the people out of a place of wisdom. Some of people are nodding in the room. So I know that at least some of you are <coughs> what I'm saying here. The connection with church DNA and change is obvious, of course. People who live long-term with no spiritual margins in our lives don't even have capacity to think about it, let alone drive anything fresh. And what we've done in the process is substitute wise leadership, which comes from a healthy spiritual walk, and strategic thinking, which comes from space, 
We substitute those for hyperactive <coughs> leadership and too many plates spinning, desperately hoping they're not going to fall. Spiritual leadership, dear friends, is rooted in being captivated by the glory of God's grace. I hope you know that. The reason the Lord does everything he does, Ephesians 1, is for the magnification of the greatness of the glory of his grace. That's captivating. Spiritual leadership is rooted in that, and it's about captivating others. So if we've moved from a space where we are captivated, we are gazing on the Lord with the eyes of our hearts and being transformed into just spinning plates and making activities work and being people's chaplains. Something's gone very badly wrong. Being driven by activism or worry in Christian leadership, I think, is a greater danger to our hearts and our home life than almost anything else. Because you can do it for a while. Uh, The point at which people fall out of leadership in epidemic numbers comes age 45 or 15 years in full-time service, whichever comes first. Uh, At that point, it spikes really nastily. If you survive through to 55, you will probably survive. But at that point, tons and tons of people stop. And I'm not just talking about full-time leaders, I'm talking about through the whole warp and weft of church life. It's because of patterns we set up when we're 35. And we're sufficiently unexamined that nobody knows. And our incomings are not level to our outgoings. So the levels in the tank, in the cup, go down and down and down over that period. So that's uh, uh, some of the reasons why I have put as our first condition on this graph personal leader capacity. I think it is the thing that actually undergirds all the other things when we're thinking about disciple-making changes. The first thing that we need to examine, I'm sure many of us in the room are very very healthy place with the Lord. Some of us won't be. But some of us may need to renegotiate and consider how we are building in Sabbath and graceful patterns into our lives. Are you aware that you at the moment are drawing from the wells of salvation as a leader? That's the question. Do you know who and where your wells are? Are they empty? Are you taking regular disciplined stops that are keeping you well watered for your leadership journey? Keeping you in the faith, guarding your soul? Uh, What for you are the regular triggers, the things that help you have a well-prepared heart for a daily routine of devotion and a lifelong routine of devotion? Uh, It's an area into which I got myself into very severe burnout several years ago uh, because I was living without margins in my life and I was assuming that I was the the exception to the danger that I told everybody else about. Ironically, it was when I was 43 with 45 looming and I told everybody else that 45 was the danger point. There I was living no margins at all, uh, perfectly happy, never expecting any danger at all. And then my wife and I lost our two sons and all of a sudden I went over a cliff because there was nothing left in the tank at that point. Uh, It brought me within 12 hours of quitting ministry. And I have to tell you that there are no exceptions to the rule of living with healthy spiritual margins in our lives. In my own journey, I came to the conclusion that the basic rhythm God has built into creation is Sabbath, a diary commitment to holy rest and enjoyment of him. We were created on the sixth day. Our first experience was enjoying God in the garden on the seventh. That was very awkward theologically for me because I am not a Sabbatarian. But not being a Sabbatarian and convincing myself, oh, it's all just wrapped up in Jesus now, who's the fulfillment of the Sabbath, isn't he? Persuaded me that I didn't really need Sabbath. So what I did was I filled all my time with activity and then tried to squeeze in some rest round it if there was any time left, which there never was. Instead of building that commitment in first and then building my life around that and around him. I don't have to ask around very many church leaders, Sabbatarian or not, to find That's not just me. Quite a lot of us are quite bad at having a discipleship-oriented, Sabbath-oriented rhythm of life. And we're quite bad at modelling it as well. Actually, I think that rather than starting with Sabbath, we tend as leaders to take on uh, primarily our duties by the overloadedness and over-busyness of other people in our churches, their expectations, and get driven by that. And rather than show something different, we feel we have to play their way lest we are thought lazy in leadership. 
So we end up with an unsustainable number of inputs into our lives, especially in the era of email. An unsustainable number of outputs out of our lives, because the demands on us are greater than we can meet. And an unsustainable number of open loops in our lives, because we are dealing with ongoing situations in people's lives that don't have closure. Too many inputs, too many outputs, too many open loops. Well, that leads to is chaos. Many church leaders have no better spiritual patterns than anyone else and no better practical habits for clearing our heads either because we are driven and validated by overwork. So, to discussion for most of the rest of our time. Uh, I'd like I, I have three questions for us. Uh, maybe we'll take a little bit of feedback. It may be that uh, you feel safer just talking in groups and, uh, and not feeding back to the front. But uh, here we go. Here's the first one. I'd like you to get into groups of four, five, six, perhaps, so that if anybody really doesn't feel they would like to speak but just listen, that's absolutely fine. We've got big enough groups to do it. We'll move some chairs around. And ask, to start with, what would you identify, just right off the top of your head, are the biggest challenges you observe in your own life to having a discipleship-oriented, spiritually healthy rhythm? What would be the things that... Uh, the, that hinder you. It might be that you have a very healthy rhythm, but you still know that if there's stuff that, that there's stuff that if you if you go with it, it'll go. It's going to disrupt you. It's going to not help you have that rhythm of life. And you might want to just uh, consider that second question as well. As a leader, how often do you say yes to requests that are going to leave you without margins in your life for sustainable, healthy, spiritual living? So this is really trying to evaluate where are we at now in our spiritual lives. What are the challenges? Would you turn your seats into groups of that kind of size and um, see where you want to go with that? I said, okay, I'll come back, but at some stage I do want to go down to the boat. <laughs> <laughs> from November, October, November last year, um, I had to communicate, and so coming at the beginning of this year, we started down to change, I changed my hours a bit, I was working a bit longer through the day, and also took a few reduction of hours. But I just felt, see when you're working, Friday. Even though we were working on a half day on Friday, then you get home, get the kids to town. You're down to really a Saturday and Sunday. And so you're down to Saturday to try to do all the work around the house and everything else. And I also was helping to take a rugby the and tying and treating there some of the kids. I'm a dad. Yeah, we only have some So that 
Friday night gives me a week. Yeah. So that helps me in my to serve the spiritual brethren as we bet to work. We get the better rest, the better more space on the week. Um, the only thing, there's a guy from the Vineyard Church over in Columbus, and uh, he said, I listen to all times of podcasts, and he has this thing where he just teaches his church about left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot. You get to bed late on a, a Sunday night, and you're trying to get up early on Monday morning to have a quiet time. You know, tiredness does kick in. And so, for me, for just to share, you know, getting that quality um, rest, you know, getting that time, and not filling every minute. So, that's just one of the things. So, I can get up, and I do like getting up. It doesn't happen every day, say. Um, but, you know, my arm try to go for about half five or six. And I don't straight away clean the window. I go down and have a little quick breakfast and then I get my coffee and then I come up and then that's the bit, one of the best times I have in the morning. So for me that's... What do you miss? Well, I'm not going to beat yourself up. There's a slight feel about you know, and... Um, I think yesterday, yesterday was all the morning at night, so we're traveling down, so we didn't have it in the morning, but we had my time this morning, and I just don't want to get caught up in the whole legalism aspect, or I'm Yeah, like the superstitious sort of yeah. today's going to be a bad day. Yeah, yeah. or doing Christianity, my own strength, you know. Yeah. Your guy also had talked about, he gets asked by different churches to come and talk about evangelism. And he says, no, evangelism only grows and it comes out over your own. So no matter what things you want to try and do in events and everything else, and as your child was saying there, are we driven by others? Uh, expectations of being over you know, and we, we want to help our brothers and sisters. But once we are over the you know, God does the right. So, you know, I have to ask myself each day, you know, what is God and what is God saying to me? And it takes time. You can certainly communicate. You can pray. Then taking it off and asking the question, here's exactly what you said, tell me. Yeah, it's uh, but like if it's been on a family time, and you know, one of the other things I've found recently, we've started, not only because our kids are getting to the age, seven, ten, we're saying to them, like, you read this passage, take half a chapter, and read it in their own, and then come to the chapter. So it's in you highlight areas you understand. That takes time. I've got these things outside to get to. I've got these other things to get done. We don't get it right. We haven't done it in about four or five days. We're putting other things ahead of people. So the guiltiness is there. So I gave our Peter a good clobbering yesterday. Uh, <laughs> We've got over to the car park. So then it's about the leadership and the modeling, but it's got lines at the moment. Seven, 
year or so as they used to read. They used to read and pray. And one of us, maybe, take a video about it. It wouldn't have been very disciplined. You know, school up in areas, you just fed up in some areas, you know, flip through and so on. But I, probably about a year ago, I started to make sure. Explore. Explore. I find that really good. Yeah. I'm actually, we did, we did Christian books and the Lord was a couple in the church and I thought I knew more. Reading this, and then the good book, it's tremendous. Why? Don't be so proud because he thought, I these things are coming out. I Suddenly it was, you know, the word on Just be prepared to learn from other people. And I look forward to it because there's some new stuff and not having to you know, just just have a Bible When you find you get time to do that, I do the in the morning, I didn't to go but I said, one thing I got Oh, yes. You get, there was five kids, girls, and they put the demands from the household, etc. Yeah, and what do you get? Enough. What time would you get the bed Well, I would say I'd probably pass for everybody because I'm saying right now, I'm at 10 o'clock for the only class. What are you sure? But in mind, she isn't the bed enough. <laughs> yeah. yeah. My eldest twenty and my youngest seven. Uh, Try to first stretch. See, I'm, I'm okay, I've got seven and ten. It was nice where I could almost get them to bed for half seven, ten o'clock. Okay, so much people. So see that space for the other day. But um, when we have been doing that structured Bible together, and getting that better, you know, we've had to have that time. I don't mind grace. It's simple. They won't come to me. So I find it more away from everybody. Uh, and then we had to work out for that. Actually, what happened was I used to car share and I was getting a little bit half fun and getting ready. Me and I was like half fun. And then I changed the light. I was trying, so it wasn't happening to me. It was going to be fun. Now I can sleep all the longer and I said, I'm going to be fun. Yeah, you said, no. I could go down at the same time. Yeah. 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 Instead of, yeah. you know, doing the car share. And now I would say, Do you listen to any podcasts? Yes. Do you listen to podcasts? No, no, not now. I would have done when I was travelling more, but no, I, I tend to do quite short journeys now. So, um, Can I ask yeah. you, when you're ready, just to shift your discussion into this second question, which is really where do you want to get to? So in which areas of your life do you think at the moment you need to be most intentional about change to build in margins so that you better enjoy God? In which areas do you need to be most intentional at building your margins for better enjoying God? Just when you're ready, move into that question. Pastoral side of the ministry there. Pastoral side of the ministry. What was Sorry, I just want to take a note because I think these are excellent questions. So I am listening. I can multitask. I didn't say men couldn't. I noticed that. If you lose to men, I said I can multitask. You better not. What's your morning? What's your day? Okay, well, number one, I, in my early days, I could be a young Christian in sick form, and I'd been told. Um, so a lot of my growth took place in uh, uni. Um, and uh, I'm not a morning person. I wish I had a, a body clock that's different than what I have, but I have to, you know, so I will come alive halfway through the morning. I will have far too much energy at half 11, 12 so I no longer spend very long the morning because I'm not at my best then. So I simply take time as I wake up to just 
bring this up to the Lord and leave the day in his hands. I might um, sort of spend a few minutes sticking on something from the night before in terms of the scripture. It's something that gets, you know, energizes me spiritually for the day. Um, I used to work from home. Um, the last five years I worked in the church. So, but it's, it's probably only when I'm at my desk ready to start um, preparing for the day that I'm then two or three hours after getting up in a, in a place of being able to give uh, or to take in in a way that I can then get out. Um, as far as um, the biggest challenges in my life is I'm unlike the rest of you, I live alone. I no longer have parents. I do have siblings, um, but they don't live handy. My friend, so my biggest problem is um, that it's too easy to fill my day with, you know, I have, don't have to make time, I really have to make time for meals. In fact, over the years I have developed a system where I can, I can speak as to, I can answer the phone, making it sound as if I put in my mouth or I haven't. So, you know, unlike me who would phone somebody, trying not to clash with their mid time and go, I hope I'm not really in a bad time. A number of our congregation are gifted in saying things like, well, good, Anna, you don't get you when you're at your team. Um, yeah, you know, and then they use ring backs, so it's not known for four or five calls all to come on the back of each other, and you think, I can't even get to the loo. I mean, it, it seems to happen on the day, so I cook myself a decent meal. And you think, well, I've cooked this decent meal. And especially if you Anyway, that's by the way. Um, I, I actually, in the second part of that, as the years have passed, I find it much easier to say no. Um, say this is something in this room, there's not a member of the congregation that you want to meet up with me. And I, I have thought of them through and prayed, and I just cannot make the space for them. And I don't really get the idea that they're doing their best in the past. Um, but I, I've been on the mirror over 60 years. I've been on the mirror long enough to say, look, I've got an audience of one. I'm accountable to God. If I've got this wrong, Lord, then you show me. Uh, because it's too easy to be running and running to these people. And I've also I've been in the church for 60 years, so I don't know how to prove anything. I think the early days, I think can make me feel, um, I mean, I am blessed with as far as leadership and both ministries that I've had, and that's my sort of senior colleague that I've also had. Can I ask a question? Would you be accountable for the show? Yeah, I'd be the professional. Do you have people who you're close to as a people on the side of the show? Yes, I have a couple of spiritual mentors in the church. Um, I feel like one of the other things, I mean, I'm not somebody who thinks, oh, I have to make sure I have you know, the Bible reading for today. Like, if I don't cover this for today, that's going to be a dreadful day. But I do have, I do try to keep to a pattern of the scripture union, although I've often looked at this for a while. Because I do think, I always say anything good, but company is consistently good. Scripture union, kind of a really good stuff, but it can also be a few dive bombs. I've never found anything pearl with good book company, and I'll say that to GMD's working with me um, in England, that I, you know, when it comes to our small groups and what they study, I always say anything that's good book company, I've good. <laughs> um, so I have a few guys, mainly a couple of ladies, who use the same scripture reading notes as me. Uh, and one of them is a real enthusiast. So he come booming in, you know, and say, what is this? And you're going, but he knows I'll not read it that morning. But, you know, when it's like a week, what did you think of the reading, you know? Really excited last week. Yeah. I think we'll take uh, a little bit of uh, feedback, but, but I think it's important reflections on what these questions have thrown up for you. Who knows what Parkinson's law is? Who knows what Parkinson's law is? Yeah, generally, the, the work expands to fill the time available, bureaucracy, in fact, expands to meet the capacity available to deal with it. I think that there's a very interesting version of that in church leadership that works both for growing churches and for shrinking churches. So in a growing church, the chances of the pastoral need of believers rapidly outstripping the growing capacity of leaders, because churches tend not to appoint new leaders prospectively to need, is, is always real. 
you always tend to be on the outside edge of, of the doable because your church grows quicker than your leader capacity grows. In shrinking churches, it actually works curiously similarly because what happens is that people either die or leave or stop running a ministry at, uh, at no notice and it just devolves straight back to main church leaders <laughs> because everybody thinks that it should carry on going, which means that you get overloaded that way as well. So you can get leader capacity eroded in both situations very easily. Uh, most of us will know some kind of version of that. Mm. So anybody like to uh, uh, reflect for us on anything in your discussion that these questions have thrown up for you from your situation and see if we can have some wisdom for the room? And if you don't want to, that's fine too. Yes? How many of us have an alarm to go to bed? <laughs> we have a gentleman in our congregation who ran a global business, a huge business. Um, and at 10 o'clock at night, uh, his alarm would go, and guests in his house were invited to leave. And home group stopped at that point. And he's terribly sorry, I have to be asleep in 15 minutes. Um, he's a very, very effective leader. <laughs> now, you're, you're all from Ireland. You, you all ring each other at half past ten. What, what's that about? <laughs> I'll tell you, uh, my wife and I adopted a two-year-old boy five weeks ago. Never has going to bed early seemed more attractive. <laughs> Do you, uh, those of you who are my age, you remember watching Bagpuss? When you were growing up, that phrase, when Bagpuss goes to sleep, all his friends go to sleep. I understand that now, just as quick as they possibly can. <laughs> can I also just add on to what this lady is saying? Um, if you take, like, we all have the same amount of time in a week, and if you take on a Monday or Tuesday, by the time you come home from work, it could be um, 6 o'clock by the time you have dinner, uh, it could be 7 o'clock, you're sitting down with a cup of tea, a cup of coffee, having a chat with your, your wife or whatever. And very quickly, it comes at nine o'clock. And maybe we also put too much expectation on what we want to get done in the evening. And, you know, okay, my wife, she's going to be doing washing and iron, I'm trying to do stuff outside. Before you click your fingers, it's half nine, ten, you go, what's going on? And... Uh, Getting the bed was some of the things that you know we'd also talked about the importance of that, so that you get up in the morning. Mm. But some people are morning, and some people aren't morning. Yeah, mm. yeah. So you need to know your own rhythms mm. and patterns. Mm. But we do need rhythms and patterns, mm. otherwise, what we allow to happen is amorphous chaos. Um, yeah. Okay. Very helpful. Thank you. Very practical as well. At the back. Following on from that point, if you look at that scripture, you look at that um, the creation narrative where um, God talks about sort of creating in the evening and the morning, mm. and that was the day. We actually maybe make something wrong in our lives when we talk about the day beginning when we get up. Yeah. Actually, the day begins when we go to bed. Yes. Because that's when we are resting for our work before oh, that's very, so we start yeah. thinking about Thank the you. day beginning sure. when we go to bed and finishing when we go to bed, that's cool. then so it will actually help us in terms of those rules. Mm-hmm. Thank you. There are plenty of scripture passages that talk about these kinds of things. Where is it in Isaiah that says... That, uh, that the blessing of God is, um, uh, is a good night's sleep and the curse is the bed being too short. And, uh, <laughs> so some, something like that. It's a, a great, great blessing. Yeah. So sleep. Get some sleep. <laughs> and yes? Um, we've been finding great life in just using uh, a more liturgical approach to mm-hmm. our, our prayer, using um, a resource uh, when we have morning, midday, and evening prayer, even compline. I'm not from a, a liturgical or a Anglican background by any means. In fact, I would have sort of poo-pooed the idea in the past. But for us, it gives us anchor points mm-hmm. during the day. And the declaration or proclamation of truths about God overcomes our wayward thinking and our, it creates pattern. I'm not talking about quiet time pattern here. But it creates these anchor points. Um, it's very interesting to see how this has been used through the um, church history 
that uh, even in, in Acts where it talked about giving themselves to uh, teaching the breaking of bread and it is, is a mistranslation of, of prayer mm-hmm. which was actually plural the prayers which was probably the psalms that they were using prayers but it didn't seem to fit the uh, early translations yeah. why would you say that you know uh, but it was actually right there in the New Testament thank you uh, among us as Protestants, the word ritual has a really, it's a dirty word, isn't it? It, it brings up religion, which um, is a negative for most of us. Rituals are simply habits that are helpful to which we ascribe significance. And the only thing that happens that makes them go wrong is when they cease being helpful and you still do the thing anyway. But... Somebody at at some point in the past very, very helpfully said, hey, let's structure our days so the Lord is at the centre of them and so that they are uh, well-timed and healthy. And I think that there's a great deal in in what you say there. Uh, We we have a lot in Protestantism to to rediscover, I think, in in that regard. Happy, holy, healthy patterns. Yes? just going to add to that, I've lived overseas most of my life, but in Western Christianity, it tends to be a case of, well, how we define ourselves is what we believe. In Eastern and other non-Christian cultures, it's much more a case of, well, what do you do? Mm-hmm. And for them, the doing is woven right through their lives. It's yes. not, well, Sundays at 10 o'clock, that's when I do my stuff. No, it's got a morning, it's got a it's got a pattern. Yes. And very often, patterns that revolve around community and food, mm-hmm. as well, the basic elements of life, as opposed to revolving around meetings. Uh, when we replace community with meetings, some very interesting things happen, almost without us recognising it. Yeah, thank you. So we're talking about patterns here. Very Anybody else want to chip in? For me, so I'm a minister in Inverness, working at the desk in a house where I live, in the land, getting out of the house would be a good thing. Yes. Maybe a lunchtime, whatever. But going somewhere deliberate, away from where I both live and work. Absolutely. Where I've got both the work of ministry and the family. A degree of separation. And and take some time. Yes. That's very, very healthy. The other thing I might do is what I've intended to do for a while and put an auto-reply on my email, which yep. says I only respond to emails on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Brilliant. And if you need me any other day. <laughs> why, don't you, why don't you make that your chief take-home from this session? Yeah. We're going to do that. Fantastic. <laughs> well, I've got one result out of this week then. Hashtag <laughs> good. <laughs> 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 I have no idea what that means. Yeah. Now for those of us who find, find prayer and fasting difficult, I find fasting incredibly difficult if I'm in a house that has a fridge in it. The fridge wins. I've got to go and be somewhere where there's no fridge or ice cream shop. Yeah. Separation. Places. On my birthday, I decided I would take two days prayer and fasting instead of eating and pray for my husband and myself went to the Sandin Centre, had a room that was lovely and it was very helpful. Terrific. Got ice, I began to be less aggressive uh-huh. and actually settled down and uh, somewhat. Mm-hmm. We, we find those things hard to pursue when we're being driven. Much easier to do in the quiet space where we're recovering what it means to lead out of a centre of stillness with the Lord, for absolute sure. So, influential for our characters. One more. Just a little thing, I think the number of share is just finding a time and a place to get away from yes. busyness yes. and structure. And for us, it happens to be a little cottage at Donegal. Uh-huh. We go to about uh-huh. four times a year. Lovely. And it used to be there was no mobile phone coverage. Yeah. So we weren't bothered. Now we just switch off the mobile phones during the day and yeah. pick up messages in the evening. Yeah. It's just that little space to walk the coast and, yeah. and, and chat and eat and enjoy and play games yeah. and, and read books and do things. Last year, the Lord gave uh, my wife and I a little seaside flat to use for the refreshment of folk in ministry that doesn't have any broadband or television. 
And we just had the first person who went to use it, and they fled it after two days, <laughs> saying, I just can't cope without being unconnected. That's really interesting. I'm going to have to think very hard what to do about that. <laughs> Put a trigger warning on it, probably. <laughs> this place is going to seriously help your spiritual health and not your internet usage. I think you just, Marcus, what you the overriding principle you mentioned with the Lord, God and creation, you know, um, created us and then Sabbath rest, that our whole framework for living being the Lord's pleasure and not just meeting everybody else's expectations and demands, that actually starting from that point, I want more please, my Lord and Saviour. Well, that it, means it must not be. It cannot be the other. <coughs> Second Corinthians 4 5, what is Paul, what is Apollos? We are your servants for Christ's sake, not your servants for your sake. <coughs> Anybody who thinks, well, we're paying you to meet all our demands, um, however unrealistic they may be, um, total hide into nothing. No, we, we, we are your servants, so he gets formed in you, and if he's not formed in us, then that's impossible. Our last uh, question is going to be about how we change things reading recently a, a story of a man who was trying to lose weight. He tried every diet out there. He said none of them were particularly bad. They just didn't fit with me. I tried them for a week and then I just fell off the agenda. And none of these systems worked. They were all a little bit like New Year's resolutions. They all failed quite quickly. He said, finally I decided that I would adopt a system that couldn't fail. So he moved to the desert and stopped eating. <laughs> and the point he's making is this that the habits and systems that he tried to adopt previously didn't work for him. They weren't bad, but he needed a system in his life, a pattern, that practically forced the results he wanted to see. I found that extremely challenging because it made me think, well, what are, for me, are the main things that prevent me having that kind of habit? And what habits would actually force the results that I want to see in my life? What is going to work for me, not against me? For me, that means being absolutely radical about decluttering. I cannot do good work if my headspace and actually my physical workspace are a disaster, which happens too often. So, save your sanity, Marcus, and your spiritual life. Actually, with something very practical, like space that is organised, that's pleasant and productive, and getting some strategies for that on my real and virtual desktops made a very significant difference in my life, as did patterns of when I look at emails uh, or not. It'll be different for you. So I'd like you just to note down those questions. We've got a few minutes to, to natter, and possibly these we won't come on to, but you might like to look at them later. What support structures would help you maintain them? And what activities would you need to negotiate out of in order to create capacity for better spiritual life? and for change. Because if at the moment you are running on empty, on the level of the maximally possible doable, A, it is not sustainable, it will kill you eventually. And you have no capacity left for the crisis that come either in your own life or in your leadership spheres. Uh, but secondly, you have no capacity to think about changing your spiritual life either. So if you're in that position, you have to negotiate out of something to be able to even start to think about these kinds of questions. If there's no space to think about them, you won't change. This session will be just like a good New Year's resolution. But for five minutes, let's just go back to that in our groups, the main things that are preventing building spiritually healthy patterns and the habits that might force us to get the results. We've had one, email auto-reply, maybe that's one for you, or would be some others. Talk to each other. Some other people can tell you. 
I'm so sorry that our time has run away with us. I think we'll have to cut that short. Let me finish by showing you uh, a little diagram. There are basically five places uh, where our soul care comes from. There's the care that we get directly from the Lord when we're in the scriptures and praying and fasting. There's the care that we do for ourselves as we're developing good patterns of healthy spiritual living. 
possibly with our close friends and good accountability. There's the care that we receive mutually in our particular ministry contexts. So I think particularly, for example, of uh, the, the eldership in our church, where there's just a huge mutuality <coughs> for each other spiritually. Um, uh, uh, the congregation also to leaders as well as leaders to congregation. And then there's care that we receive in wider networks and the actoring uh, care that we receive from specialists where necessary, counselors, therapists, uh, experts, medics, various kinds. The one that I am most interested in is this middle one, the care, where's my pointer? This one. The care that we mutually receive in our ministry context. Because what happens when you start to introduce big questions of change and uncertainty that make people nervous and uh, possibly feel alienated is that the care you get in this one collapses. The circle disappears. And it tends to make these two center ones become far more subjective. Your spiritual center starts to get squeezed out by demands and criticism and, and overwork and all that kind of stuff which then precipitates us into getting all of our care in these two outer ones from wider networks and from specialists, if we get it at all. Mm -hmm. Knowing that this will have negative consequences on our care that we receive here, I think, means that many people never actually push the button to change stuff because they're so worried about what will happen there. If you're going to do it, you're going to change stuff. That means you have to ensure that you have the necessary scaffolding round about you as a leader to make sure that you are going to be filled to the level of your outgoings before you do it. The structures for our own care are not incidental. <coughs> they're not a luxury. They're not us just somehow uh, pampering ourselves. They are really very, very important indeed. The main question in my mind is how to be a leader who is wise. Praying about everything, having a worship life, those are my chief things. I don't know what they are for you, but maybe you would write one or two of them down. Determine that we're going to prioritise them all the time as much as possible as a result of this session. Would you just take one minute, write down what the chief take-home from this session is for you, and what you're going to do about it. And I'll just tell you about a couple of books. Five books. Uh, I've put um, on the desk in front of you um, some brochures for a thing called the Pastoral Refreshment Conference. This had its germs ten years ago in um, myself and two pastors just asking what we would most like for the care of our own souls and marriages in ministry. And wrote down what we wanted on the back of a napkin, decided that the grace oasis we had in mind didn't exist in our circles, so rang around 80 friends in pastoral ministry and said, if we put on something that is just about our worship life, our walk with the Lord, fanning into flame our prayer lives, not about skills, you won't learn to put together a child protection policy or exegete Obadiah, would you come? And they all said, we haven't got a clue what you're talking about. Um, but give it a go, we trust the three of you. It seems to have hit an awful lot of nerves. We run three now, two in the Midlands in England, one uh, new one in the Lake District, and we're in some talks about possibly bringing to Ireland as well. It's for main church leaders and spouses, and is at least half planned by spouses because there's nothing worse than uh, wives of ministers being dragged along to stuff that I as a bloke think they'll enjoy but won't really. Um, and it's a grace and prayer oasis. Uh, if you're a main church leader, you might like to have a little look at that. If you're not, then you might like to treat your main church leader to it because that'd be a nice Christmas present for them. Uh, a few books. If I was buying one book for leaders off the bookstall, it is not a book on leadership. It is this one, The Heart of a Servant Leader. Um, this is uh, uh, collected letters, pastoral letters, written by Jack Miller. Uh, it's collected postu uh, posthumously after he died by his wife. And in terms of uh, just a repository of pastoral wisdom and warmth and grace... I think there is nothing as good as this. It's just, this warms my heart, this book. Absolutely fantastic. Um, practical Wisdom. Here's a very, very thick book. But it's made up of very, very short chapters, and the text is quite large. Just on a whole variety of very, very helpful uh, leadership matters and uh, a very, very good, helpful index in the front. I don't think it's that dear either. I've got a price on it. But Craig Hamilton, Wisdom in Leadership. I think is, is excellent. 
Um, if you haven't uh, read as a leader Paul David Tripp's Dangerous Calling, I hope you all have. It's mandatory reading. Um, just in, in terms of us avoiding the pitfalls and hedging ourselves around with wise counsel in this perilous country of leadership, um, I think that is just absolutely superb. Um, if you want to read a book on burnout that will depress you but is very, very good, then Going the Distance by Peter Brain, who was Bishop of Adelaide, similarly very, very helpful. Good on family, good on sexual temptation, good on understanding our body clocks. Um, and lastly, this one by my wife's husband. Um, her current husband, I hasten to add, uh, is a book I wrote on some of these themes uh, a few years back. That um, uh, I wrote actually every time somebody's come and sat at my kitchen table for a decade before, telling me they want to get out of ministry. I started to make a list of the reasons why. And I put the list of reasons in an appendix in the back, and every review of the book says, buy it for this appendix <laughs> um, of leadership killers. So the rest of the book's probably not much good, but uh, you might like to have a look at Fruitful Leaders on the bookstall as well. Let's pray. Father, I don't know what people have written on their pads for the creation of healthy spiritual margins in our lives. I do know that most of us these days are overtaken with fresh temptations for inputs through social media and email. We have far more immediate calls on our time than we ever had before. And the temptation to replace serious, devoted time in praying and reading the scriptures and delighting ourselves in the Lord with these things is very real for all of us. Lord, would you help us to not make the things that we have written down like New Year's resolutions? Good ideas, but never actually happening. Lord, would you help us to be spiritual people who are captivated because we want other people captivated by the glory of the grace of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for this wonderful task of leadership. Mm -hmm. uh, we love uh, the fact that you've called us and gifted us into mm -hmm. it. We want to be healthy, spiritual, biblical leaders, and we want to grow. Help us, please. Bless us now as we go on our way. Amen. Amen.